passage that Chad will be reading. It's in Luke chapter 6. I don't remember the verse. Uh, 21. <laughs> Thank you, Chad, for reading that for us. Uh, we're making our way through uh, this portion of God's Word, the book of Luke, little by little, as the Lord leads each week. I hope it's profitable for you and encouraging you in your walk with the Lord. Our theme has been the blessed life. What's the blessed life look like? And we've talked about the blessed life begins with poverty. Uh, this morning we see how it is uh, about being hungry. Another way to come at this and think about this is that Jesus is beginning his first discipleship lesson for his apostles. Remember, the context is that he just chose his apostles, and also with those apostles, there's a greater crowd of disciples, and they're gathered around him, and he's giving them, again, their first, you could say, discipleship hour lesson. He's unpacking for them what does it mean to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does that mean? And as you look at our text, you can see it means to be upside down. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you uh, who are poor. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who are hated and rejected on account of my name. That's upside down, right? And then uh, the rest of the verses, Woe to you who are rich, and woe to you who are full now, and woe to you who laugh now, and woe to you when all people speak well of you. That's upside down. And Jesus is teaching us right side up living. That to the rest of the world, it looks upside down, but God in His grace has adjusted our thinking and our view and our, our, our way of looking at things, and now we see things right side up. And I hope as, as you hear some of those verses and Jesus' pronouncement of blessing and woes, that you hear how 
how contrary that is to the health and wealth gospel that dominates the airwaves and our bookstores. How very, very contrary it is. The, the prosperity gospel peddles the lie that God wants you to be rich and filled and healthy and laughing and accepted and loved and popular, right? And people are buying into that because who doesn't want to hear that? Who doesn't want their best life now? Well, disciples of Christ don't. You can read Jesus' words just like I can. He says, woe to those who pursue a life of wealth, who base their lives on wealth and being full and happy and popular and respected. He pronounces, woe, that's not health and wealth, that's a woe unto you. Pretty strong words from the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it look like to be a disciple? It's not only upside down or right side up, it is costly. Jesus wants us to know right up front, if you follow him, if you turn from your sin and place your faith in him, it is costly. It very, very well results in you being dirt poor, having hunger pains, weeping, being friendless, persecuted, rejecting us. Jesus is challenging us with stuff like this. Would you lose Jesus before you lose your money? Would you lose Jesus before you skip a meal or lose a meal? Would you lose Jesus before you lose your happiness or your reputation? That's the challenge that Christ is bringing before us. Am I a follower of Christ no matter the cost? Or am I a follower of Christ so long as there is no cost? That's the challenge. Do you want to be rich and satisfied and enjoy life and be popular? Or do you want to be faithful to Jesus and treasure him above all things, even if it means you might lose everything? That's the call of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's upside down and it's costly. But it's also worth it. That's the significance of those words in verse 20 sharing with my growth group on Tuesday night as we met at Frankie and Kaylee's house I just continued to be struck by that opening phrase in verse 20 where it says Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and it's so rich with significance I think Jesus lifts up his eyes, sets his eyes on his disciples and he sees, he knows what these guys are about to go through they're about to go to the ringer. And they are. They're going to be poor for him. They're going to be hungry for him. Uh, they're going to have lots of sorrow. They're going to be rejected. In fact, all of them, save John, are martyred. And with love, he sets his eyes upon them and seems to want them to know that I want you to know as you go through all of this, you are blessed. And that he loves them. And that even though the skies might be overcast like the state of Michigan, that behind those overcast clouds and skies is the smiling providence of a father who loves them and cares for them. They need to know that up front because the Christian life, being a disciple, is what? It's costly. 
And you need to have it rooted firmly in your heart. You need to have this identity anchored deep within you that you are blessed. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So he sets his eyes upon them and begins to explain what it means to be a follower of Christ. What the blessed life really is. So they can see right side up. And again, last week we talked poverty. This week we talked hunger. To read the verse again, it says, blessed are you... When, <clears throat> blessed are you, excuse me, who are hungry now. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Now, when Jesus blesses those who are hungry now, he is referring to his followers, his disciples, who on account of the name of Jesus have gone hungry. He is not saying, and I stressed this last week with poverty, I'll stress it again this morning with hunger. He is not saying that those who are hungry, everyone who is hungry is blessed. No one who has experienced true hunger pain would call that blessed. You've ever seen those, those videos or pictures of third world countries with the children and even adults who have bloated stomachs because they haven't had a meal to eat. They don't have the three meals a day. They maybe have a few things here and there or one or, one or two meals a week. <clears throat> They're starving. There's nothing blessed about that. There's nothing blessed about being starving because you're starving. <clears throat> Imagine only eating a meal once or twice a week, year after year after year after year. And that was the condition of many in our world today, hunger is threatening their existence, and if that ache of starvation goes on being unsatisfied, they will die. There's nothing blessed about that. Remember the poor man Lazarus? I think it's in Luke 16. There's a rich man, and then Lazarus, and Lazarus just begs and begs and begs just to eat the what? The crumbs. Off that man's table. So remember, imagine, sanctified imagination for a moment. Just imagine that rich man turns to Lazarus and says, Well, you know, blessed are you who are hungry. <clears throat> if Lazarus knows the scriptures, he could very well reply. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things they need, what good is that? James 2, 15 and 16. <clears throat> so I hope you see that Jesus is not saying everyone who is hungry is blessed and will one day be satisfied in God. Again, that's a false gospel, being hungry, wondering where your next meal will come from, going years with only one or two meals a week is awful, it's awful, it's awful, but it is not a de facto guarantee of heaven. Jesus did not offer himself on the cross to deliver us from being physically poor or hungry. Jesus is speaking to his disciples who have already decided to follow after him. They chose Christ. He chose them. They chose him. He's speaking to them. And because of their commitment to him, they are hungry now. You can paraphrase it this way. Blessed are you who are hungry because you chose to follow Jesus and are therefore relying on God as your loving Heavenly Father to meet your all Father, He loves you. He cares for you. The only worry you need to have is 
will do what? The supply all those things. What you need? Now you might be asking, what are some circumstances, what are some things that would happen in a disciple's life that would cause them to go hungry for the Lord Jesus Christ? I think there's a few different things we could say. The first one is, I think there's a pretty clear, obvious connection to the first one about being poor. Poverty and hunger go hand in hand, yes? If you have no money, how do you get food? If you've lost your job because of your commitment to Christ, how are you going to make ends meet? How are you going to have food on that table? Right? Poverty and hunger, they go hand in hand. They go together. Yes? Very much so go together. But again, you're not supposed to worry about that. You're to trust your loving Heavenly Father who knows your needs. You remember that you are blessed and you need to focus on seeking first the kingdom of God. And I would share with you, I think this is one of the most incredible things about the early church, how they looked after and cared for their own. In fact, look at Acts chapter 4, 32-35 just for a moment. That's the second volume of Luke's uh, writing. Luke is volume 1, Acts is the follow-up companion, volume 2. Acts chapter 4, verses 32-35. We read this remarkable phrase, <clears throat> remarkable portion of scripture. <clears throat> Again, Acts chapter 4, 32-35, where it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. In other words, the word mind was not in their vocabulary. <clears throat> Verse 33, with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. What a portion of scripture, huh? Hunger is a consequence of poverty. If you follow Jesus, it may cost you not just your pocketbook, it may just cost you your food pantry, uh, which gives the church of God a wonderful opportunity to step up and care for those who are hungry and poor for the cause of Christ. And so we read in 1 John 3, 16-18, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, our sisters in Christ. Verse 17 of 1 John 3, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, John asks the question, the Spirit asks the question, how does God's love abide in him? In other words, it doesn't. If you have, if you have plenty and someone else has need and you close your heart against them, Scripture is saying... God's love doesn't abide in you, because Jesus laid down his life for us who were in great need. Little children, John goes on to write, let us not love in word or talk. That's easy. Talk is cheap, right? But love how? In deed and in truth. So let me, let me say this. I, I've said this before, but I want to say it again. If, if we as Christians were doing this right, what we're talking about here, the church comes along its own and helps for those who are needy, and those who are hurting. If we were doing this right, if, 
if we were loving in deed and truth, not just word and talk, if we were doing that right, I tell you, there'd be little to no need for government relief programs. There'd be little to no need. I believe with all of my heart that the government cannot help the poor and hungry and vulnerable better than the church. And I believe that because we have Jesus. We have Jesus. We should be setting the standard. The government should be coming to us saying, how are you doing that? And we would say, Christ and Christ so. We love him. He laid down his life for us. We lay down our lives for others. It's the gospel in action, yes. <clears throat> so followers of Christ could go hungry on account of the fact that they are also poor. Followers of Christ could also go hungry on account of persecution. Jesus seemed to bring that up right there in verses 22 and 23, back in Luke 6. In Luke 6, 22 and 23, he says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. <laughs> so followers of Christ could very well go hungry because when they follow Christ, they're persecuted. This happens all over the world. I read very recently of uh, Christians in Muslim-dominated countries, especially during uh, COVID and all of that, when there was a great scarcity of food, even more so than there often is, that the only places where they could find food was at the local mosque. And so if you're a Christian, you need to go to that mosque and ask them for food. But here's the thing. They ask you, when you go to get your food, are you a follower of Islam? Are you a follower of Muhammad or Allah? And if you say no, no food. So you see how following Christ in certain countries means you're going to go hungry for Christ. And Jesus wants them to know you were blessed. Same thing happens in, in India. I read recently of a Christian, many Christian families in a Hindu village in India where they're not allowed to buy from the local shops or draw water from the well because they name the name of Christ. No food, no water, because they love Christ. <clears throat> Jesus wants them to know that they are blessed. Jesus wants us also to know that following Jesus is costly. It's a battle, it's a war against sin and Satan and his kingdom and the flesh. And Jesus, again, wants us to know that it, was, it is worth it. He would have us to know before all of that happens, before we go hungry, that for the name of Christ we are blessed, that he still loves us. In Romans 8.35, we read this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine? Was that for hunger, right? Famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? What's the answer? No, in all of these things we are what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Hungry for Christ, poor for Christ, more than a conqueror through Christ who loves us. Well, Jesus goes on uh, to say, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. You shall be satisfied. Satisfied comes from the Greek word that means well fed. Uh, well fed so much to the point that you can't eat another bite. 
That's how full you are. That's how satisfied you are. I can't eat one more bite. Thanksgiving Day all over again, all over again right? <laughs> can't take another bite. I'm full. I'm satisfied. More significantly, the verb is a passive. It's a divine passive. God himself will satisfy you who go hungry for the cause of Christ. He cares for us, doesn't he? He cares for us. Again, when you follow Jesus, it may cost you, you may lose everything, you might go hungry, but you are blessed for God himself will satisfy you. And I think that's a reference to the Messianic Great Banquet uh, that is promised to us who believe where all the redeemed will sit and feast at the table of the Messiah. We read in Isaiah 25, 6, that God promises his people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. That's Isaiah 25, 6. This banquet that God promises to his people. Briefly, if we turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, that's where Jesus uh, feeds uh, the 5,000. Jesus feeds the 5,000 in Luke chapter 9, 10 through 17, but we're just going to focus on 15 through 17. Where Jesus, just with five loaves and two fish, feeds those 5,000, and he tells them to distribute it. Verse 15, they did so, and had them all sit down. Verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said, a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set before the crowd. I'll catch verse 17, it's easy to miss. And they all ate and were what? Satisfied. I would argue that the feeding of the 5,000 is a miniature picture of what Christ will do when he returns. It's a, it's a miniature picture of how he so easily, from just a few handfuls of food, was able to feed 5,000 plus, right? If you count the children and the spouses, it's a big number. And they eat to their satisfaction. They couldn't take another one. And that's a great, wonderful picture of what God the Father will do for us who treasure him so much we're willing to miss a few meals for him and go hungry for him. <clears throat> what a God. What a promise. This is why Jesus came into the world. This is why he died on the cross. He came to deliver us from the effects of sin. He came to deliver us from being satisfied in our sin. He came to deliver us from being happy in our sins. He came to show us how empty and void and awful and wicked our sin is. So we no longer take pleasure in it, but that, like we'll talk about next week, we will weep. That's why Jesus came, that's why he died, to rescue us from that sin, and that by faith in him we might have our hunger for forgiveness of sin, our hunger for protection, our hunger uh, for purpose found in him and him alone. In Orangeville Baptist Church, it is our great joy and our mission to take this message to every store, every school, uh, wherever we can, our workplaces, our homes, our neighbors, the streets, wherever we go, to say this, I am satisfied with Jesus. That's our mission. That's our mission. Anywhere we can go, in fact, maybe wear a shirt or, or something that says, I am satisfied with Jesus. I have tasted what this world has to offer. I have eaten its food. I have drank its water. It left me wanting. 
But then I tasted Christ, who is the bread of life, and I drank his water, which is the water of life, and now there are streams of living water in me. I am full. I am satisfied. That's our mission. That's our message to go and to do with this, this community around us. I am satisfied in Christ, even though maybe I haven't eaten for two or three days now. That's the mission. And it's glorious. And it's costly. And it's crazy. And it's weird. But I love it. Don't you? Easy to say, though. Easy to talk about. Not so easy to do. What's the parallel? <clears throat> Remember how each blessing has a parallel woe. We find the parallel. Parallel in verse 25. <clears throat> Woe to you who are full now. Instead of being hungry, you're full now. For you shall be hungry. That's scary, huh? Woe to you who right now in this day and age are full, uh, filled up with all that this world has to offer. So much so you have no hunger for Jesus. You're happy in your sins. You think you're satisfied in your sins. And you have no idea what Jesus is offering. You can't even begin to conceive it because you're so... Full. Your arms are so full of the world that there's no room for the gifts that God wants to give you through His Son. That's why we need to repent and drop those things and be filled with Him. And Jesus would have us to know that in the end, if you're filled with the world's goods, if you're building your life on this world and all of its pleasures, it is empty and vain, you will end up hungry. It's all vain. What a warning. Jesus is telling us that everything in this world will fail you. Everything in this world will let you down. Everything in this world will leave you hungry. And I know, I live in the same world you live in. I see the same things you see. Man, they can dress up this world like you wouldn't believe, right? And it looks like that's the answer to everything I need right there. Give me that. $19.99, my word, what a deal. Right? <laughs> Our world is amazing at packaging things up, making them look spectacular. And Jesus would have us to see right side up, to see right through those things, that you will go hungry. Friends, spouses, your work, whatever kind of pleasure you're pursuing, possessions, toys, food, on and on that kind of goes, all of that will let you down. At some point or another, none of that will ultimately satisfy you. Everything in this world will fail you at one point or another. Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your marriage, your kids, your grandkids, your achievements, your work. If you're trying to build your life on that and find happiness and contentment in that, it will leave you hungry, Jesus wants you to know. They will never satisfy you. They will never fill you. If you build your life on your image or your beauty or your athleticism, that was me in college, or high school building on my athleticism, it's all going to fade. If you build your life on people, they will fail you. If you build your life on possessions, a robber might take them, a flood might ruin it, a fire might destroy it, right? I don't know we can go with that. It will leave you hungry. And I, don't mishear me, though, either. For sure, enjoy the gifts of God, right? Enjoy them. Take pleasure in them. Enjoy these things that He gives us. But don't build your life on them. That's what it's saying. 
Don't expect the world to do for you what it cannot do. It was never designed to do. Don't believe the lie when the world promises to fill you and satisfy you. It can't live up to the promise because the world wasn't made that way. But why not? There's this great thought from C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, in his chapter about hope. <clears throat> he says this. You've probably heard it before. <clears throat> if I find in myself, <clears throat> excuse me, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was not made for this world. That I was made for another world. That's pretty profound. So I'll read it again to make sure we're good. <clears throat> if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, so if I find in myself a desire for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or for more money or for the look better or better at or having a nicer house or whatever it might be, my marriage or, or friendship or whatever, whatever it is, I, I have this desire and no experience can satisfy it. The most probable explanation is I wasn't made for this world. I was made for another world. In fact, he goes on to say, if none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to, he says, arouse it or to suggest the real thing. You see what he's saying? That these things in the world that promise you so much, and I think as Christians we can get pleasure out of them, that those are only meant to arouse or suggest even greater pleasure that is found in Christ and Christ alone. The pleasures of food and work and sex and relationships like marriage and friendship and accolades and accomplishments or a nice vacation or the pride of applause or wanting to be well-liked, whatever else, those are all inadequate to fill or satisfy you. New clothes, new music, new friends, new things, they might give you some joy, but you cannot, you must not build your life on them. They're only meant to suggest to you that there's something way better out there and it's, it's God. And you'll find all your satisfaction in Him if you'll turn from your sin and trust in Him. If you'll drop all the earthly goods you're trying to hoard and hold to yourself, if you just let go of them, God will fill you with more than you can ever imagine. So that's the only right response. If, if, if this is true that God will fill us, and if it's true that uh, this world will leave you hungry, the only right response for us this morning is hunger after God. That's the only right response. Pursue him with every ounce of energy and strength and hand. Psalm 63, verse 1 and following, the psalmist cries out, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's the only right response. If all that we said this morning is true, hunger after God. And again, it will cost you. It will cost you. It may cause you to go poor or hungry. It will cause you to miss out on some of the comforts and pleasures of this world. But God himself promises, I will satisfy you. <clears throat> Picture it this way. I apologize in advance for doing this because it's 11.30. It's going to close so much time. <clears throat> if you can picture
Picture this. It's as if there are two feasts, extravagant feasts, being laid out before you. You're invited to come to both of them. They're both beckoning you to come to them. And so you have the Feast of the World. The Feast of the World is this incredible thing, this table they've laid out for you, and it looks and smells incredible. Tempted. There's dishes of hot soup, hot tender slices of beef, roasted chicken, mounds and mounds of potatoes, mashed up or roasted. How are you like? How are we getting a picture? <laughs> Mountains of green beans, carrots with a caramelized glaze. It tastes amazing. <clears throat> kind of like McDonald's food. Maybe at first it tastes amazing, then you instantly regret it. <laughs> and all the tongues and maylocks and pepperoni of the world won't satisfy you, but just did to your stomach. <clears throat> and worse, you end up what? Hungry. That's the feast the world is offering you right now. God has his own feast he's laying out to you. In Isaiah 55, 1 and following, hear the words of God. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Listen to how he reasons with us. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. That, that's God speaking to you and I. He's, he's saying delight yourself in this rich food and it's free. It's free. Find your satisfaction here. He's saying come with an appetite. Come to my banquet. Reach out your hands. Forget about the silverware and all that junk. Just reach out and stuff it in your mouth and be satisfied. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's not passive. That's active, right? You need to actively delight yourself in the Lord. Seek actively your happiness, your satisfaction in the Lord. I just want to ask, does that describe you this morning? Are you delighting in the Lord? Are you actively seeking and pursuing after Him? It's so easy, my goodness, it is so easy to become spiritually complacent. <clears throat> I often have to guard my own heart. I like comfort. I like ease. <clears throat> It's easy to become spiritually complacent. It's easy to fall into maintenance mode. It's easy to do just enough to get by. It's easy to uh, just 
you know, just enough to pass, you know, the, the curse of, of good enough. If that describes you this morning, you don't have much of an appetite for God, for His Word, for His prayer. How could you? You're so filled up on the world. You're so full of the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of the life that there's no room for God in there. And so Jesus warns His followers to be constantly hungering for this deeper relationship for Him, even if it means you might go hungry for a little bit, even if it means persecution. But again, the problem is we're so gorged on the things of this world, we've lost any appetite for God. My word, that is a scary place to be. I'll share with you an illustration about a duck. <clears throat> we're, we're like this duck that was, was flying with his, his friends, and uh, notice as he was flying, he looked down, and here was a barn, and at that barn were some more ducks, tame ducks, who had their food just being fed right to him, right there. Well, that looks pretty sweet. So the duck lands down and starts, starts eating that food. Thinking to himself, well, I'll just kind of land down here and I'll, I'll eat some of this food for a couple hours and I'll take right back off and I'll get back with my friends. <coughs> well, those couple hours turn into a couple days, which turns into a couple weeks, which turns into a few months, and before you know it, Duck's been there for quite a while, and autumn is coming, and he hears his, uh, or the fall, autumn is coming, and he hears the, his friends, his ducks, flying overhead. And he thinks, well, I want to rejoin them. And he tries to, but he's so fat now <laughs> that he can't even get above the eaves of the barn. And so he says, well, that's okay, next year. And it continues. Jesus' sake, but 
we thank God when he fills our tables. Right? What an incredible blessing from God that we're going to go home and we have these meals for us. We thank God for his grace and his kindness. We also make sure we're not wasteful or gluttonous with food, right? And more than that, whenever possible, we seek to alleviate those around us who need food, who are hungry, who are hurting. Right? So it's not just, blessed are you who are hungry now, blessed are you who are hungry now, continue to deny yourself and give food to those who are also hungry. James 1.27 says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows, catch this phrase, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In their affliction surely includes making sure they have food to eat. Right? Making sure they have food to eat. And I read James 2, 15 and 16 earlier with you that says basically your faith is worthless if you see someone who's in need and you have plenty and you don't help them, your heart's closed to them, then your faith isn't what you think it is. You check yourself. We should do what we can to relieve the suffering of others. And that's why I'm so thankful for the fact that our church, the size that we are and the things that we do, the size that we are and the way God works with those things, I'm so thankful for that we have a food pantry that's open uh, for anyone who's hurting. And we have a baby pantry. And we have uh, th these men who drive around uh, all over Barrington County uh, like once or twice a month with the vans packed full of food, delivering them to people who are in need. That's also the heartbeat behind family promise. What's family promise? Family promise is a, is a ministry that, that's based out of Hastings that comes alongside those who are homeless, those who for various different reasons, maybe they've lost their job, they've lost their home, they have nowhere to stay, nowhere to be. So Family Promise asks churches to open up uh, their doors and provide meals and be chaperones, make sure they're being cared for and, and anything we can do to, to help them. Ask churches to do that. It's pretty easy to do. It's a win-win. It's a blessing for us and I hope a blessing for them. So, so thankful for Family Promise and so thankful for the many uh, who were able to sign up and help with that because we're doing that this week. It was kind of kind of last minute on us. Uh, I think they, they needed someone to fill in, so we, we filled in. So that starts today. This time it's not going to be at our church. It's at the center in, in Hastings. I'm so thankful, though, for the many who have filled those slots and volunteered to bring food and volunteered to stay there overnight with them and just be available to help. That's our text in action. Yes? That's our text in action. That's saying, I'm not just going to say it with words. I'm going to put my feet to it. My leather is going to meet the road. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I say, I believe. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to give up a home, or I'm going to give up a night in my home and stay somewhere else with these people I don't know and just love them with the love of Christ. Amen. And that's a wonderful thing. And I was informed last night that there's still a need on Saturday uh, for a few different slots, three-hour slots on Saturday. So if you're able to help with that, 
If the Spirit's convicting and working and encouraging you with that, then Sharon is going to be back there somewhere, right? And she has sign-up slots for you. Please, please do that. And I believe there's also another opportunity coming up in June, right, Sharon? We're right about that. So if you're bummed out, you miss it this time. June's coming. Uh, we'll have lots more opportunities to sign up for that. But then, just let me say this as we kind of tie things together. It's wonderful to do those things. It's wonderful to uh, provide uh, food and provide for the needs of others. But it's also important that we make sure as we meet these physical needs that we're not missing the greater spiritual needs. <clears throat> Meeting people's physical needs is an opportunity to meet their even greater need. Remember what C.S. Lewis said, how our, our, our needs suggest something greater. And so we take opportunity to help meet those needs and then say, you know, there's something even better. Something that will satisfy you forever. And that's the significance in John 6, where John 6 records Jesus feeding the 5,000. He feeds them the 5,000, then immediately after that he says this, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see, you see what Jesus did there? He, he just satisfied them physically, and he says, don't settle for that. That spoils. He points them to him, who's the bread of life. You see what he does? The crowd asks in response to a statement, what works does God require? And Jesus replies, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. Jesus then says in John 6 that he is the bread of life. So Jesus points to himself. He meets their physical need and simultaneously says, don't settle for that. You need something greater, and that's me. I'm the bread of life. He alone can satisfy. Thus we are blessed that by choosing to follow Jesus, we hunger now. And because we are so blessed, let us go to those who are hurting and needing and seek to meet their needs, all the while pointing them to Jesus, who is the bread of life. So I'll say it again in Orangeville Baptist Church. It is our great joy, it is our great mission to go to the streets and the stores and the schools and the workplaces and the neighbors and to say to them, I am satisfied in Christ. I've drank the waters of this world. I've eaten the food of this world. It did not satisfy. I went to Jesus, the bread of life, who said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. Man, that is a mission worth going hungry for. Does that get an amen? Amen. <laughs> that mission of saying to the, the, the neighbors and the nations, in Jesus I am satisfied, that is a mission worth going hungry for. Orangeville Baptist Church, are you willing to go hungry service to King Jesus for those around us who are desperately hungry for the spiritual things? Are you willing to go hungry physically for those around us who are hungry spiritually? That's the challenge of this text. And that is the blessed life. Jesus was willing to do that. <clears throat> he denied himself all the comforts of this world, all the pleasures of this world, even says he had nowhere to lay his head. He did all that in service to his heavenly Father, and he said his food was to do the will of the Father. 
What was the will of the Father? The will of the Father was that he would lay down his life for the sheep. He would lay down his life for our sin so that we who are spiritually hungry might find our satisfaction, our forgiveness, our righteousness in him. This is the gospel, yes? This is the gospel. This is what communion is about. This is what the Lord's Supper is about. As you guys have those cups uh, that are near you, maybe in your hand or, or wherever you put it, that is a reminder to us that Jesus is our satisfaction. That he shed his blood and sacrificed his body on the cross that we might have our sins forgiven, satisfied, justified, declared righteous in his sight. That's what the Lord's Supper is. It's a reminder that Jesus is the bread of life. That my salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. It costs Jesus everything. He offers it to us. What a Savior. You could say it this way. That might not look like it, that little food, that, that little cup. That, this is our banquet. It's our mini banquet. It's reminding us. It's even letting us taste and feel this greater banquet that's coming. In which we will be satisfied forever. That's what the Lord's Supper is doing. It doesn't save you. It doesn't... It doesn't Make God more impressive. He doesn't earn anything with Him. It's for believers. And we're, we're reaching out and we're being reminded of the gospel. <clears throat> it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The praise team is going to come up <clears throat> and they're going to play a song. It's meant to be meditative or contemplative. <clears throat> and I just ask as they're playing that song and you think about this message and you think about that cup and the juice and or wafer, whatever you want to call it, that's in there. This is an opportunity to thank God. To thank Him for the many ways He's supplied your need. Thank Him for the rich salvation and forgiveness of sin. Thank Him that He is your satisfaction. It's also a time for repentance. It's a time to bow your heads and say to the Father, Father, forgive me, I've been living for the things of this world. I've been trying to find all my satisfaction in the things of this world. Girlfriends, boyfriends, new music, new clothes, accolades, reputation. I've been living for all that stuff, Lord. My, my arms have been full of all the world stuff. I've been trying to hold it all up. This is an opportunity to let go of all of it. And cry out to God, fill me up, Lord. Fill me up. This is especially a time for those of us who may be in our midst who are so lost and without faith in Christ. You're not yet a disciple of Christ. What's stopping you? My goodness, what's stopping you? You just heard how blessed the life of following Christ is. It's hard, but it's worth it. It leads to satisfaction in God himself. Today is a day of salvation. Today is a day. Now is the time. So as we play this song, maybe that's what you need to do. Bow your heads before him. Say, Father, forgive me for my sin. I recognize now that Christ and Christ alone is all I need. Give me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Maybe that's all you can cry out to him.